if we continue to see investors saying this is what we want and we continue to see consumers saying this is what we want, I think we'll just continue to move forward. And at some point, either the ones who are behind will die or they'll have to catch up very quickly. Ever imagine you could be mentored and guided by some of the most influential leaders in business? That's where 40 Minute Mentor comes in. I'm passionate about making business mentorship accessible to everyone. So whether you're just beginning your career or you're looking for advice in taking the leap and starting a new venture, or perhaps you're scaling a rocket ship, this show is designed to cover everything from the ground up in the next 40 minutes. Today's 40 Minute Mentor is Juliet Davenport OBE, CEO and founder of Good Energy, the UK's first 100% renewable energy company. It's fair to say, Juliet grew up in a high carbon world on race circuits with a dad who was a rallying co-driver. She even dreamed of being a racing driver herself one day. But after studying atmospheric physics at Oxford, Juliet found her true purpose and switched her focus to battling climate change. She launched Good Energy in 2002, and they now supply renewable energy to more than 73,000 households and businesses in the UK, and her dedication earned her an OBE in 2013. It was an absolute pleasure talking to Juliet, whose passion for tackling climate change really shines through. We also talk about her learnings from scaling her business, how she's tackled the pandemic, and a bit about her recently released podcast, Great Green Questions. So without further ado, please sit back, relax, and enjoy this insightful conversation with the amazing Juliet Davenport, OBE. Juliet, welcome to the 40 Minute Mentor. It's lovely to have you on the show today. We're going to kick this off as we always like to with a 30 second quick fire CV question interview. So if you're happy to finish these sentences uh, with the first thing that comes to your mind, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, hi, James. Lovely to meet you as well. And yeah, I'll do my best on the quick fire. Okay, let's go. When I was younger, I always wanted to be well, I had two things, actually. I wanted to be a brain surgeon and a Formula One racing driver. Oh, wow. Brilliant. Uh, no one has said that yet. So that's, that's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> my first job was? Oh, my first job. Oh, I think it was in a pub, actually. I think it was a, a bar. I, I served behind a bar in a pub. Classic. Yeah. Good early ground there dealing with uh, customers, I guess. Yeah. So we'll, we'll come with, on to that. Dealing with landlords, I think, was more complicated than <laughs> the customers. Good stuff. When starting my career, I wish I'd have known. Oh, yes. Really interesting. I wish I'd known. I kind of wish I'd known more about management, to be honest, because I was a kind of entrepreneur and I was a tech head and I kind of understood lots of things. But sort of the whole world of people was 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 the bit I didn't know enough about. I, I, I would say the exact same thing, to be honest with you. And um, maybe we'll come on to that in, in a bit. And I became an entrepreneur because because I got frustrated with not being able to do things I wanted to do, to be honest. So I was a climate advocate. I wanted to run a company that was, I wanted to work for a company that was doing something about climate change at speed and I couldn't find one. So I set up one. Brilliant. We will talk a lot, a lot more about that as the conversation develops. I'm most energized at work when I'm Creating, I think, probably uh, thinking, strategizing, talking to others, bouncing ideas off, coming up with new ways of doing things and getting around the problems. Love it. Love it. And the most exciting thing in my calendar this week is? 
Oh, <laughs> that's really interesting. So we're going to the our... pubs now they're open. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is, to be honest, tonight I have booked a space in my local pub tonight. Good stuff. I think that's quite a lot of interesting conversations, but we're talking about our results, which is a bit backward looking, which isn't necessarily always my favourite thing. But probably uh, ZapMap, uh, we're talking about ZapMap this week, which is our investment in an EV mapping service, data service. Really exciting, really cutting edge, some really exciting things coming out of there. Oh, amazing. That sounds brilliant. And finally, can you share something that we couldn't learn from your CV, whether that's a perceived failure or setback in your career that you've learned from? Oh, wow. Yes. Let me think. I can't remember. Probably some of the jobs I didn't get. Oh, yes, I do remember. It was quite interesting, actually. So I worked at the European Commission on Energy Policy, and they offered me a permanent job, a permanent consultancy job. And what I didn't realise was that it was hugely political to get these jobs. And one of my co-workers decided they didn't appreciate me getting this job and actually got my job taken away from me. No so way. I lost my job that I already had been appointed to. They'd even paid me for the first month of work which is ridiculous oh my goodness wow and then I went on to be an entrepreneur so it wasn't sort of the end of the world but it was quite an interesting time I learned my lesson not to tell people about things before they became real yeah wow that is terrible but I guess it's all it seems like it's all worked out for the best in the end given it kick-started your entrepreneurial journey I probably just would have eaten too much food and got very fat at the Olympic (laughs) Commission Fair enough. Oh, well, thank you so much, um, Julia. I already feel like we've got a a fascinating insight into your career in a snapshot, but naturally really want to come on to delve a little deeper into your story. So you founded Good Energy, the UK's first 100% renewable electricity company almost 20 years ago. And I know you received an OBE in 2013 for your services to renewables, which is incredible. When did your dedication to fighting climate change start? And can you tell our listeners a bit about the mission of, of Good Energy? Yeah. So when I was growing up, as you can hear, I wanted to be a brain surgeon. That was from watching. At some point, they had daytime open brain surgery on television and I got inspired by that. I'm too squeamish for that. I love how (laughs) that that would either kind of really put you off or or inspire you. (laughs) But what was bizarre is that it was allowed to be on daytime TV, but also Formula One ride driver. And I grew up in a very high carbon world. So my father was a rallying co-driver. I spent a lot of time at race circuits and rallying in the middle of forest, watching very fast rally cars go past. And so the environment wasn't really important. I mean, I lived in the countryside. I loved loved the countryside, but it, it didn't strike me as being a, a thing that was a, was a problem until I got to university and I studied physics. And as part of my physics, I studied atmospheric physics, where I learned about the climate, I learned about the atmosphere, and I learned about the impact of putting CO2 in the atmosphere on our climate. And I guess that was really my turning point. And I was probably in my third year at university and that was where it came from. That and also at the time, people were starting to write those kind of long articles in Sunday magazines about climate change and the issues. And so I think it was those two things coming together that inspired me. And that was pretty much since then. It was then, OK, so what can I do and how do I do it? Amazing. And, and Good Energy itself, can you tell our listeners a bit about the, the mission of the business and what, what, what you're trying to achieve with it? Yeah, so I'd spent... From that time at university, then over the next kind of five, 10 years, I sort of 
did various things in various different jobs. But eventually I ended up working for Renewables Consultancy and I was I gave a speech in Athens, actually, about the potential of renewables in Europe. And I met an entrepreneur there and we started talking about the fact that government was great and you needed government policy. But the forgotten people always were consumers and customers and actually the people who use energy and empowering them to do something about climate change was really important. And that was really the founding part of good was that we felt that consumers, to a certain extent, were quite often ahead of governments, ahead of business and would be some of the early adopters in this space of going green. And we wanted to work with early adopter green consumers to change the world, basically. Amazing. And now you supply electricity to over 50,000 customers. You support, I think I've read 73,000 homes and businesses and communities. So just you've achieved incredible amounts. What were some of the kind of biggest lessons that you learned over the first kind of few years of building the business? And is there anything now you look back to the 20 years on, uh, are there any things you do differently? So it was a really tricky time those first few years because uh, obviously money is, it, a, a, any startup will know that sort of finding money and getting funding. So I had a German partner who was an entrepreneur as well and they funded the business, but they actually went, they went bust. So oh, our no. funder went bust, which which is also a challenge. <laughs> oh, God. Um, so then we spent some time trying to figure out how we fund the business, whether we could split the business into two and create two businesses, one that would have a different value so we could bring in more cash into the business. So there was a lot of sort of backwardsing and forwardsing. And I guess I learned a lot about cash, a lot a lot about kind of who will fund what. And it, obviously things like that change over time. But but the kind of urgency and the necessity to stay, to have cash in the bank, to make sure that you can carry on doing what you want to do and how important that is. So I think those were really a lot of the early times was was cash. And then after that, Really about, I think the energy market's quite unique in terms of how volatile it is in terms of pricing. So making sure that you understand your trading position and you understand how much energy you've bought and how much your customers need, absolutely key to running an energy company. Yeah, definitely. And and, and I'd be interested, uh, over time, you obviously you've grown the team quite considerably. Have there been any key highs over the course of that period? So perhaps on the training side, was there any, was there a particular key critical high that you made in that growth journey that has transformed the business or, you know, I I don't know, had a particular impact? Yeah, I think what's really interesting about starting a business from scratch and then growing it is that the people who join the business at the beginning aren't necessarily the people you need at different phases of the business. And that's always really, really tough, actually. And I think, and especially it depends on whether they want to grow at the same pace as the business, because I've been always quite lucky in that I've managed to invest in myself, either through external appointments or through uh, sort of just appearing and going out to conferences and, and being there. So I think there's been a lot of... I'd be able to do that. But if people are don't have that mindset, it becomes very difficult to, to for them to keep up with the business. And so they're they're great maybe for four or five years, but you then go through another phase of growth and change. So I think that's probably been my biggest challenge. I think in terms of some of the best hires, uh we have a head of comms who I think is awesome. And, 
you need somebody who fundamentally gets the business. What's great is when you get to that level of trust is that you barely need to check anything before it goes out. So you get a speed, you get that kind of thing really working together. We've got a head of investor relations again, who is amazingly strategic, really kind of long vision. Again, great to talk to because you you need people in the business who can think short term and kind of make sure things get done. But you've also, the role of the CEO is got to look further out to make sure to see what's coming at you and see how you're going to position the business to, to deal with that. And I think being able to have those two pieces in place to look after you. And then I think you, you just need some really good operators in the business to make sure that the team operates really well. And we've got some fantastic people in our business in terms of in our finance team, in our in our ops team. I think I think at one point good was great at R and D. I, I have to say I think we've lost our edge a bit on that. I'm hoping we're gonna get it back. We had some great people in the R and D team. And they really transformed us in terms of how we were thinking about new proposition and product. And I think sometimes businesses get get a bit complacent about how they should be innovating and what they should be doing in that. And, and when you get to a certain size, you've got a lot of people who are trying to control costs all the time, but you still need to do investment. So this, it's really getting that balance. that's really tough, James, to be honest. Yeah, totally. And, and so much of what you said resonated with me. You know, as a small, I, I've been running my business for eight and a half years. And even though it's a relatively small business compared to yours, you do still go through those cycles, don't you? People that come on a journey with you, very aligned, and they do a brilliant job. But then you get to a point where the business just naturally evolves. And it's, it's always hard to say goodbye, but it's, it's essential to keep the business moving. So I totally get that. You've alluded to some of the challenges in the early days, which I assume the resilience you built up to Tackling those problems has really helped in the past year where uh, COVID has certainly thrown a spanner in the works for, for us all. Your team's now over 300. How did the pandemic affect your, your plans for, for 2020? And how have you managed to keep the business going, engaged and kind of connected during this, this last strange period? Yeah, well, I would say I would say it's been a real challenge, to be honest, because I think I think the thing is that I was around during the 2008 downturn. And I think... What was interesting, my reflection then was that we battened down the hatches completely as a business and didn't quite close down, but we shut everything close to close down and didn't really thought about surviving rather than thinking about beyond survival. And the issue we came out of that was that when we came out of that downturn in 2008, what we discovered is the marketplace had completely shifted and and consumers' behaviour had completely shifted and we weren't ready for it. And so it took us a long time really to, to get restarted again. And what I was keen to try to do this time was not to, to, to make the same mistakes. But to be honest... And I think I think we did an amazing job of getting the team flexible. I think a lot of companies did that. Suddenly everything clicked into place and you could get people working at home, working flexibly. People miss the office, but they also really valued the time they spent with their family. So I think there was this really interesting dynamic. I think we did extremely well. I think we focused on the operational side of the business, so making sure that we were doing a good job of making sure we're collecting our cash, making sure we had good cash flow. So I think we did that really well. I think where I struggled to kind of keep people with me was it was saying, and we've got to think about the future. And I think a lot of people felt a bit overawed by the whole process and didn't quite have the bandwidth to think. I mean, we've we have managed to do it, but it's been really that's been the hardest work, is because I think a lot of people, if they haven't been exposed to this kind of downturn before, 
they believe the mantra they hear there. So quite often when you go to industry meetings, you've got every single CEO sort of saying, oh, it's going to be dreadful and it's going to be a downturn, whatever. And essentially what they're doing is looking for handouts from government effectively and slightly crying wolf a little bit because we've seen the news today of, oh, it's all going to be bouncing back and it's going to be better than ever. And I, obviously I've seen that over time. I can, I'm a bit of a cynic when it comes to how industry operates. And so therefore that has been my biggest challenge is going, guys, don't believe everything you read in the newspapers. There will be a recovery and we need to be ready for it. And I think we're not in a bad way, but it was, that was probably the hardest message I had to deliver internally. Yeah, totally. No, it's, it's, uh, I think, well, it's, it's great that things are easing. Uh, and I think in some ways you, you know, having run the business for the period you had, it's, it, you're probably that much more equipped to, to deal with it this time around. And clearly with a different lens, given that, you know, the last, the last uh, downturn that you went through, I wanted to talk about sustainability. I mean, as, as an environmental activist, you've always had an emphasis on action um, and practical solutions to the climate crisis. This is obviously a huge, huge issue for, for us all and, and businesses. And I love to dig a little deeper. So I, I think there are lots of good intentions out there, uh, but lots of companies do take shortcuts when it comes to, to growth. As somebody that's dedicated their career to innovation, how seismic do you think the shift needs to be for sustainability and businesses to grow sort of hand in hand together? So I think we've seen quite a major shift already with business, not all business, but a, a lot of um, customer facing business, actually, and investor facing businesses. So businesses that have been keen to make sure that they're looking after their social investors, they're looking after, we're seeing the pension funds begin to shift. Those businesses are having to look at this seriously. And that that's, that's not trying to take too many shortcuts. That is about going, this is going to carry on. And so we've seen some brilliant leadership by sort of some of the leading brands in the world saying they're going to go 100% renewable. They're going to take investment sustainability. They're looking at the circular economy. So I, I, I kind of can see a lot of action beginning to shift in those areas. I think we still see in the fossil industry some quite backward-looking approach. And definitely there's a range of companies, some are already at the forefront, already beginning to see, yeah, we're not going to be a fossil fuel company in 10, 20 years' time. And some going, well, we don't really believe it all, but we'll pretend in the process. And there's, there is a massive range, I would say. And so I think what we're seeing from the marketplace is if we continue to see investors saying this is what we want and we continue to see consumers saying this is what we want, I think we'll just continue to move forward. And at some point, either the ones who are behind will die or they'll have to catch up very quickly. And it will be more expensive to catch up later rather than now. So I, I, th I think we are seeing a shift, but it's it's not ideological. And but But actually, to be honest, you don't necessarily need an ideological shift to make people move. True. Well, it's, it's interesting. Countries like Costa Rica, Albania, Uruguay, they're very much leading the way when it comes to renewable energy and sh showing that it can be done. What, what do you think the UK needs to do to match their progress? And do you think that being purely powered by renewables is, is achievable in the, in the near future? So that's a fascinating question. I get asked that all the time. So one of the pieces of work we're doing right now is to evaluate what it would take to be powered by 100% renewable and what that would look like. Because I think 
unless you really look an extreme, um, you have a lot of conversations. Well, oh well, it wouldn't happen, or blah blah. Well, let's let's see. Let's see whether we could do it, and if we can, what investment would it require? What changes would it require to get there? And I think, I think for me, I split it into kind of five key areas in terms of deliverability around shifting two hundred percent. First of all, you need R and D in this in the technologies that aren't there yet. So things that we're going to need in ten years time, ten and twenty years time, we need to be investing in those today. So those are things like flexibility, storage, uh, improvements in efficiency of existing solar, wind, looking at tidal, looking at wave technologies, all the new things we need to be investing in now. Then you need to look at infrastructure. So is the infrastructure fit for purpose? Will we need to make new investments or can we use existing infrastructure better? Then you obviously built a load of marketplaces around existing technologies. Is, does that, will that still work in this new world? Then you've got consumers, really important. They're going to be a key part of deliverability around climate change. And then finally, you've got the people who are going to be working in all these companies. Have they got the right skill sets? Do we need to retrain? What are we focusing on that area? So I think I think it's it's not one. It, 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 there's no way you can shift, make a big shift this big without having to push on all the areas. But I think if you hit it with all of that, then we've got a real chance. And we've got the potential. I mean, technical potential of renewables in the UK is massive. It's not that. It's just how do we actually get it to deliver alongside what's already happening? And you've got this constant thing of making sure the existing system doesn't fall over while you're transforming to a new one. Yeah, yeah, definitely. No, thank you. It's a fascinating insight. And you alluded to technology. I mean, technology and innovation does play a massive role in in climate change, sustainability efforts. Um, What can the tech sector do to help accelerate us towards these goals? So it's really interesting. I think the tech sector is already trying to do a lot. I think we're already seeing potentially a reach down to consumer and that consumer becomes part of this marketplace. And what tech can do is bring consumer into this marketplace and facilitate it. Because previously, uh, I mean, when I first joined the industry, you would have, say, 40 generators in the UK with somebody at the end of the sort of telephone switching them on and off. Potentially, if every house becomes a generator of power and you have storage capability because people have electric vehicles in their homes or on their drives or in the street, in fact, suddenly that changes and you cannot facilitate that through phone calls. You have to do that through aggregation of data, through smart technologies. And that for me is where tech really comes in, being able to manage large amounts of data in a dynamic way that can automatically, with some kind of AI input, can automatically maximise the value of low-carbon technologies. It's very exciting, isn't it? Uh, hopefully not too far off. Thank you. And, and for any founders listening to this who are, are inspired by your story and, and what you're saying here um, and are keen for their business to, to not be part of the problem and actually become part of the solution, is there any advice you have for anyone listening like that? Oh, wow. That's a really big question. I mean, I think... <laughs> Every business can start to be part of the solution. I mean, I think even if you're not directly uh, sort of involved in this sector. So let's, let's, take, let's take organizations who aren't directly involved. I think you can start to look at sustainability as your business as a whole. So start to think about your business as a circular business, as a positive regenerative business. So whether it's sort of, I'm sure people see Brewdog as a kind of iconic in the brewing sector for their kind of 
innovative communication and, and beer making, but also they've gone carbon negative and they're having a massive conversation about it and people are giving them a hard time about it. But it's great because it just brings awareness to the fact that they're not just a beer company. And I, so I think I think for companies that aren't directly in fact in, involved in the sector, be part of it. You don't you, just because you make beer or make clothes or make something else doesn't mean you can't be part of the conversation. Definitely. Then I think if you are directly uh, sort of involved in the sector, then you need to think as far forward as possible, because I think that's one of the things you see a lot of the existing utilities have really struggled with is thinking forward. And they've always been a bit slow, to be honest. I mean, the market's being disrupted a lot at the moment, but stay ahead. So uh, one of the things we've just appointed is we've appointed a youth board at Good to try and keep us thinking forward. And what's brilliant about, so they're school-age kids, I think it's a range of between 12 and 18. They bring this simplicity of thought. They're super bright. God, they're amazingly bright. And also they bring this real diversity to us, sort of diversity of thought that we haven't necessarily got in the team immediately. And it's great because it just, it, they take a look at our website and go, why are you saying that? And it's just, it's just brilliant. So they just bring that, questioning. Yeah, fresh fresh eyes yeah yeah completely and yeah we'll see how it goes but we had our first board meeting last week and it was just really exciting and fun and interesting and and also sometimes when you lead a company quite difficult to make things change the bigger you get and actually having something like a youth board with that kind of external eye can really help a ceo to kind of move things forward i, lo- I absolutely love that i i and i wouldn't surprise me if uh, founders listening to this sort of may, may steal that idea because I think uh, I think it gives you a, a, a totally new approach. And let's be honest, particularly when it comes to these important topics, the youth of today are, are incredibly well-informed and, and really, really passionate about it. And ultimately, you know, they're, they're going to be leading the, the fight on this uh, in, in the next generation. So I think that's brilliant. And, and I guess on an individual level, what are some of the small changes like we can all make in our personal lives to, to help move towards net zero emissions? And- so I think if you think about the key areas that we interface with emissions, so, so one is in your home. So what can you do in your home straight off? And you use energy. So make sure you, if, if you're using energy, use green energy and use green energy from a real green supplier like Good. Obviously, if you want to, if you want to go further than that, you can install solar panels, or you can start thinking about heat pumps. So, so there's a kind of there's a stage one and a stage two. Also, make sure you've got as much energy efficiency as possible. So if you've got leaky windows, sort those out, put some insulation <laughs> yeah. in, etc. The next thing is so that's where I live in a sense. So I kind of the living piece. Then the next one is how do I travel? How do I get from one place to the other? So sort of walk cycle public transport but if you can't do those three then if you're going to get in a car try and make sure it's an ev because that's there is now a wide range of evs available they're fantastic to drive they're really simple to charge at home everything's becoming much easier so i think that would be the transport piece and then finally what you eat so again limit what you waste there's something like waste food worldwide is is the same emissions as a small country and it's massive so let's let's not waste the stuff we spend hours days sort of making so that that's sort of 
limit that, limit meat and dairy. So take that down. It doesn't mean you have to get rid of it completely, but use it as a treat rather than as an everyday necessity and eat local and organic. So kind of where you live, what you eat and how you get places, I think are the three really practical places you can start. Wonderful. Thank you, Juliet. And just before we get on to our wrap up questions, I, I wanted to just quickly ask about your exciting new podcast uh, called Great Green Questions. So what what made you decide to, to get on this podcasting uh, journey and, and what sorts of topics and guests are you going to be uh, covering? So I think I've always I've always been an advocate in the environmental sector for not being perfect, because I think none of us are perfect. I know I'm definitely not. And I think we exclude people on this journey if we try and sort of go for perfection constantly. So the the idea about Great Green Questions was really to be a very practical place where we could debate some of the bigger green issues that people find really hard to talk about. And I'm sure, James, you if you're around the table with your family and they talk a lot as, as similar to mine, there will be debates about things. So it's oh, kind yes. of it's almost <laughs> taking those questions and putting them in a podcast with some experts and a little bit of humour to try and try and make it an everyday issue rather than something that only a few people are allowed to attain. And yeah, so we've got we've got questions about cars, because as, as I told you, my childhood, I grew up with a lot of cars. I love cars, food, talking to kids about climate change, footprint of the Internet and fast fashion. We've got some great guests. We've got Robert Llewellyn, who used to be in Red Dwarf. I don't know whether you ever oh, amazing. Was, yes. Yes. The Red Dwarf. Yeah, um, Melissa that. Hemsley, brilliant food writer, Maya Rose Craig, uh, or Bird Girl, who's a youth activist, uh, Mike Berners-Lee, who is a carbon calculating yes, genius, yeah. Marcus Bridstock, who you might know, comedian, and Bobby Seagull, presenter. So we've got some brilliant people wow. on the podcast, and Love it. I get Love to it. throw them lots of questions, and then we have a, great, <laughs> a bit of a laugh and a bit of a debate. I'll be tuning in. No, I love the concept. And I think that, I think part of the, the problem is some of these big and important topics is yeah, people do get put off almost by, by you know, virtue of the fact that we're not all perfect and we don't all do the right things all yeah, the time. But I exactly. think it's a, it's about actually em- embracing and talking about these topics and, uh, you know, and, 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 and doing your bit. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I think that's, that's really, really important. Oh, thanks, Julia. Um, well, we, we're sadly getting towards the end here. We've got our three wrap-up questions. Uh, the first one being about mentorship, uh, rather unsurprisingly. Do you have a mentor, Julia? And, and if so, how have they helped your career? So I think I've probably had lots of different mentors along the way of talking to different people. And I think I think you you to say that you might have one, I think, for a whole journey would uh, I don't know. I think I think you have many on many different levels. And I know that I've just picked up the phone to some pick up the phone to whoever's around you who you who you like and you get on with and you you value and I do that a lot and I and it's really valuable it's really good to pick up the phone yeah I couldn't agree more uh, could I ask if there was one person that you could be mentored by who would that be that's such a good question I and it's so hard I mean bizarrely really bizarrely I mean it's not bizarrely probably at all I would love to be mentored by Greta Thunberg just if nothing else, Interesting. to to that kind of level of cut through and absolute focus that she had in terms of getting the message out there. 
I think it would be amazing to hear what she would say about it and sort of if you came to her with challenges, how she would help you. I think I'd love her. And then I'd love somebody who um, I just uh, I've just I've been talking to somebody who's been in the energy industry for years. He's a lovely man who has worked in government, worked in big oil as well, worked in lots of things. But he is just an amazingly generous man. And I've been talking to him as well. So I kind of think I've got one at either end, really. Yeah, I love that. You're the first person that's actually said somebody that's kind of, uh, you know, quite a lot younger. But I think I think mentorship goes both ways, doesn't it? Yeah, and I think, you completely. know, it's actually looking at mentorship from different perspectives and, and, and considering being mentored by somebody that's less experienced could actually be equally, if not more valuable. So yeah, I love yeah. that answer. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and given all the success you've had, you know, you're, you're a pioneer in your space and a very successful CEO. How do you want to be remembered? <laughs> that's so funny, isn't it? I don't know, is the honest answer. I mean, I think, I think as affecting change actually I think whether it's affecting change related to climate change the energy markets affecting change in terms of female leadership in terms of diversity I think affecting change would be where I'd really be at mm. and on that on that point around you know being a, a female CEO uh, there's still not enough of them let's be honest uh, in the industry particularly in the, the the tech world that I recruit into um is there have you got any advice for anyone any any women listening to this that are you know uh, seeking similar positions of authority or just uh, you know looking to get ahead uh, and inspired by your story is there anything that you would leave them with I think first of all, we'll be really clear why you want to set up a business. What are you trying to do? Then make sure you've got some good people around you. So depending on what your strengths are, get some good people around you with the, the balancing strengths, but also make sure you learn from them so you evolve because your journey, when you go on a journey, when you're an entrepreneur, you have a huge opportunity to learn an enormous amount in a very short period of time. And just make sure you take that opportunity because it will make you richer because you may not, you may not, when I say richer, I don't mean financially, I mean, as a person, you may not just start up one business, you may start up many. And so kind of, you need to learn from each one really, but having trusted people around you at that early stage, who you can rely on to give you, if, you, if you've got the vision and the marketing and the customer side, then make sure you've got a great person on finance. If you're really good at the tech side, make somebody you've got customer focus and also the people side in terms of recruiting great people. So you, you kind of just look at who you are and then make sure you, you get other people alongside you who are great at the other bits. Brilliant. And final question, Julia, if, if there was one piece of advice, last piece of advice for anyone that might be thinking about a big career move at this point, is there one last thing you would leave them with? In terms of starting up a business, if that's I their think career just more move. Gen more, ge more generally, yeah, just kind of weighing up a big decision. I tell, you, I tell you what, I think I probably came to too late, although I've always enjoyed working with people, but, but make sure that if you're doing a big career move, you're going to work with a bunch of people you're going to really enjoy working with because that makes going to work every day fantastic and exciting. And I think it's, we slightly underrate it in terms of actually what's important on our checklist when we're looking at jobs. And I think it's incredibly important. Yeah, love that. Yeah, it's something we talk about a lot and I've noticed more and more 
particularly in this climate, you know, that we're coming out of, you know, culture and leadership and the people that you're working with and the environment is actually one of the first things people are thinking about now because, you know, life's too short at the end of the day yeah, and you, you exactly. do spend most of your life with your, your colleagues. So you really want to make sure it's, it's worth it and fun. Yeah. Julia, thank you. You've been a wonderful 40 minute mentor. I've really enjoyed our chat and wish you all the very best for the rest of the year and beyond. Thank you, James. I really enjoyed chatting. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers. I really hope that you enjoyed that episode of the 40 Minute Mentor. And if you did, please leave us a review and tell your friends so we can continue to bring you awesome interviews from inspiring entrepreneurs and business leaders. Please also feel free to reach out at info at jbmc.co.uk. Thanks again for all your support.